Let's pray together. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Father, we just want to thank you for the opportunity and the time and the space to be gathered as a church, this body of Christ. The church is not the building, but the church are the people, the people of God that have come together to worship you. Father, we are here to worship you and to not make it about myself, but to make it about us, but to make it about you, to take all the glory for yourself, Father. We're here to worship you, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to lift up his name up high, to praise him for all the wonderful works, for who you are, Father. We're here to worship you. We thank you for the privilege and the honor to be part of your kingdom, to be chosen, to be a royal kinsman, to be your children, to be your royalty, to be used by you, Father God, to be called your children. Thank you, Father, for the adoption of sonship and daughtership in Christ. Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We worship you today. And I pray, God, that as we transition now to your message, I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O God. We thank you. We love you. We give all honor and all glory to you and to your name alone. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. Let's take a seat. Alright, so today's message is very important because it's going to lead, it's part one of the message, and next week is Thanksgiving Sunday, and it's going to be part two of the message, so part one, part two. Today, we're just going to set the foundation, and then next week, we're going to really go in deep with the message, but it's going to be together. You can't have one without the other, so today is part one, and the title is called, let's all repeat the title, ready? One, two, three. God's will. In two weeks, November will end, and we will enter the last month of the year. And in December, we have things in plan and the messages for us to really get ready for us to finish strong and just really remembering everything that we've been through this year and the year before and really look to God to live a life, a victorious life that is found in Christ. But before we go ahead and we end the year, Let's talk about God's will for your life. Understanding what God's desire, what his heart is for us as an individual, not just as an individual, but for us as a church. So let's start with Jeremiah chapter 29, starting from verse 10 to verse 14. It says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Repeat after me. With all all your heart. 
I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. A few things here for us to understand the context. We see here in verse 14 the word captivity, and we also see the word exile. People take this quote, this is a very famous Bible passage, and we take this and we think, yes, it's good, God has a plan for me, and all these different things. But you have to understand the context of Jeremiah 29. What is the context of this passage? The people of God are exiled. They're away from their homeland. They're in captivity by Babylon from another nation that took over. Now, why did God allow? It says, I carried you into exile. God allowed the people of God to be exiled out of their nation. Why did God bring this divine judgment to the people of God? Because they were being wicked before him. They were wicked before God. They had committed wickedness. The people of God committed wickedness. They committed before God. So the context of this message is that the people of God are in exile, but it's not the end. There is a promise that I will bring you back. It's a promise that you will be restored. So the number 70, when 70 years are completed in the beginning of verse 10, it says that the number 70 is divine judgment that God will eventually restore his people. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's known as the weeping prophet. I don't think that's a cool nickname, right? Like imagine, Josh, your nickname will be the baby boy, right? The crying baby, right? It's like the weeping prophet. It's not really cool, but he's known as the weeping prophet because nobody was listening to the prophet Jeremiah at this time. And the weeping prophet was saying, remain faithful. He was telling the people of God, remain faithful. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when life doesn't make sense, even when life is hard, even when things do not make sense, remain faithful. For God will bring you back to your homeland, meaning God will restore you. God will restore you. So turn to your neighbor and say, God will restore you. He will bring you back. Amen. So I have three points for you guys today. Number one is this. And we're going to start with, do you have? And then it's going to be all the points. So do you have, number one, let's all repeat. Ready? One, two, three. The mind of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and ask, do you have the mind of Christ? When we carry his thoughts, when we carry the mind of God, your mind will be transformed. It's not if, but it will. It is going to be transformed. Your mind cannot help but to be changed. Because our mind of God, the mind of God, is so much greater and powerful and bigger than our own mind. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, it says this, This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're only, they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, 
but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct them? But what? But we have the mind of Christ. Keep in mind here, it doesn't say, it does not say the emotions of Christ. It says the mind. What is the mind? The mind is the act of the will. It's like what we talked about. What is repentance? We think about repentance. We see people crying on their knees. Yes, that could be part of repentance, but it's the act of your will. It's a decision that you make. So when it says the mind of Christ, it doesn't say the emotion of Christ. It says the mind of our Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Bible goes on. It says in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Turn to your neighbor and say, the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know the will of God? Change your mind. Renew your mind. Be transformed in your mind. Stop thinking like the way that the world thinks. Stop having the Hollywood mind. Stop having the mindset of the world. Change your mind. You need to change. In your mind, you need to have the mind of Christ. Only when you have a renewed mind, it says then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Meaning God's thoughts, His mind, are so much bigger than our thoughts. It says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts, this is in the perspective of God speaking, for my thoughts, God is saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, Angela. Neither are your ways, Angela, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, Hiji. It's higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Meaning, the thought of our Lord Jesus Christ, the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ, is so much greater than us. That's why whenever we go through hard times in life, sometimes we just, we're just not called to understand. But we are called to trust in Him. Why? Because His ways are perfect, and He is good. God will never contradict who He is. His ways are perfect, and His ways are are good. That's why it says, again, going back to Romans 12, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It doesn't say his crooked and messed up way that God wants to twist things and trick you and do all these different things, but it says his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So again, do you have the mind of Christ? You're never called to belong to the world. Do you understand that? Yes, we were born in this world, but we're not called to be part of this world. We were never part. We never belong in this world. That's what the Bible says in John 15 verse 19. It says, if you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. Think about it. You see famous people. Usually when you're famous, you belong with the world. You're part of the same team. The moment you bring Jesus into the picture and things and you start living for Christ, then you are out of this world. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. I'm talking about true disciple of Christ. It says, as it is, you do not. This is, again, in the perspective of Jesus speaking. Jesus says, 
As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And Jesus goes on, he says, you will be hated by everyone on account of me, account of my name, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. And then it goes on, they will deliver you over to be persecuted and killed, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. It's a reminder that if you have the mind of Christ, then you understand that you are different from this world. You do not belong in this world that you are living for a greater calling, and which is to be in God, to have the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, the question, how do we come to an understanding that God's mind is so much bigger than ours, right? We understand it like when we look at the stars, when we see shows about space, and we see the universe, and how big the universe is, and how small we are. We see it, we understand it. We see the ocean, we see how small we really are. But how do we come to a true understanding that God's mind is so much bigger than our mind? Well, first, you need to renew your mind. And the question is how? How do you renew your mind? I'll give you the answer. And it's very simple. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's word. The word of God. The scripture. It's the primary place where you can renew your mind. If you do not have a renewed mind, you won't know God's will. If you want to know God's will, you have to know his word. Know the word. Study his word. Know the character and the heart of God, the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be transformed and rooted in his word. Because God never contradicts his word. His word is God. God is him. John 1 tells us that he is the word. The word of God is God, is Jesus Christ himself. So if you want to know the character and the mind of Jesus Christ, you have to know the word of God. And you can trust it because God never contradicts his word. Do you trust a person according to their words or by their character, by who that person is? By their character. You could have two individuals. You could have two twins. One twin can have strong character. One twin can be a manipulative liar. Who are you going to trust? They look the same. They act pretty similar. But whose words are you going to trust? You're going to trust the one who has credibility, who has character. God will never contradict his own word. That's why when God says, right, even going back to Jeremiah, that I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Wait, it wasn't God the one that brought me into exile? Wasn't he the one that put me in captivity? But even then... You can trust him because God is perfect in his ways and his will is perfect. That is the mind of Christ. That even when things seem so unfair in life, there's going to be time in your life when you get older or even now or you experience it when you're young. It's going to be so unfair. Why did this happen to me, God? Why was I a victim of this situation? 
If you have the mind of Christ, you will know that God, that he is good and that he is perfect. That just like Genesis chapter 50 with Joseph, when he talks about for what you intended for evil, God used it for good. You understand when you have the mind of Christ, you understand and you trust him. That's why you need to go back to the word of God. God never contradicts his own word. And you have to always know that his ways are always higher than our human ways. His word is good. His word is perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, his word is good. His word is perfect. This is what the scripture says about who God is. Now what I think, or my opinion, this is what the Bible tells us. Numbers 23, verse 19. This is a passage that you need to remember and you have to memorize. Numbers 23, verse 19. It says this. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? The problem is we've been so hurt from our human relationships that we put God in the same perspective. And then when you, put, when you do that, you have the mind of the world. Of course, when you have the mind of the world, of course you're not going to trust anyone. I know for sure if I was a Christian, I would not be living the way that I am today. But when you have the mind of Christ, you understand that God, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that God does not change. That the God of Genesis is the same God that we serve today. He's not a God that will change like shifting shadows, it says in James chapter 1, verse 8, verse 17. It says, who does not change like shifting shadows? God is not some fickle human individual, some spoiled child where one day you want candy, one day and the next day you want something savory, one day your mood is up here, you feel good, so you want to do all these good things, and then the next day you feel so bad about yourself and you're filled with emotions left and right, and God is not someone who changes according to his emotions. When it says the mind of Christ, it means the will of God is consistent, same, every day, yesterday, today, forever. The promise that he gave you when you were in middle school, the promise that he gave you when you were in elementary, the promise he gave to your parents, to your grandparents, the same God that was with Abraham until now. It's the same God that is here with us. He will not change, and that is having the mind of Christ. How do you have that mind? You study his word. When the Bible says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? When it says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or James 1, who does not change like shifting shadows. You understand. You have that promise. When you have the word of God, you understand that whenever I am going through my emotions, whenever I feel like I don't deserve forgiveness from God, you understand that when you turn to the word, and his promise is true, that you understand that you are forgiven and that you are a new creation, that you have been called, that you have been chosen. You go back to the word. And that's how you continue developing the Christian mind. Why? Because every day is the battle of your mind. Please don't start believing the world's mind, the Hollywood's mind. Even going back to the beginning in Genesis, we see God has a will, right? His creation, uh, to be in a relationship with his creation, right? The people, Adam and Eve, the people that he created, God desired 
to be in a relationship with his creation. Number two, Satan also had a will, right? To distort, to destroy the relationship with our creator, with God, right? That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that just as Eve was deceived by serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Meaning the devil, the first place that the devil will attack is your mind. When your mind is led astray, then we cannot give sincere and our pure devotion to our Lord and worship to Jesus Christ. That's why in Acts 5.3, Peter said, Ananias, we know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where they lied about their property and what they did with the money to the apostles. That's why Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And then it was in that moment they died and their life ended. Meaning Satan has a will. Every day his will is to distort the truth, is to bring you further away from the truth, from the word of God. So if you have a powerful enemy who distracts your mind through media, through the world's temptations, and he is so powerful, and he's the prince of this world, how do you protect your mind? You have to protect it through the word of God. Remember, God has a will, Satan has a will. And number three, I also have a will. I have a will, right, to want to be like our creator, right? We see it all throughout in Genesis, where we see it with Adam and Eve. You will be like God, right? Or even in the Tower of Babel, they want to reach the heavens, right, to be like God. We also want to become our own God. There are so many aspects and angles of things that tempts us, that leads us astray. The only way that we come back to the truth is the Word of God. You need to go back to the Word, meaning the Word is God. If you want to know God's will, change your mind. Have the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You have to go back to the Word. So again, the question, do you have the mind of Christ? Do you? Do you know that His ways are so much higher and powerful and greater and better than your ways, than your thoughts? Don't get lost in your thoughts. For those individuals who think too much, you allow your emotions to get the best of you. Don't trust it. Never trust your emotions. Trust God and his word, the promise of the truth that is found in the Bible. Amen? The word of God, the mind of Christ. Number two, do you have, okay, let's turn to our neighbor and ask, the heart of Christ. Ready? One, two, three. The heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is the heart of justice. The heart of justice. So Proverbs 23 Chapter 23, verse 26. It says this. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 6 tells us, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So now, those individuals, even for us, or people that we know, people who pursue money, fame, and prosperity will never be satisfied. Bob Marley said something like this. He said, money is numbers, and numbers never end. If it takes money to be happy, your search for happiness will never end. When you pursue the things of this world, you will never be satisfied. You ever wanted something so bad, Hush or Wes, and then you get it, and then what happens usually? We end up getting used to it, it goes in your drawer, and then you want the next best thing, and then you want the next best thing, and then you want the next best thing. Harry Jerry's perfect example, NBA 2000, 2010, 2011, I think I saw their collection, 2012. 2013, 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. They have 25. I'm like, whoa, how'd you get the future ones? They're like, I went into the future and got, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Jerry. Meaning we are never satisfied as human beings. And the truth is that when we delight in God, our heart's desires, it will parallel God's heart. I'll say that again. When you delight in God, your heart's desires will parallel God's heart. And again, I'm using Psalm 37.4 as my reference here. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? Does that mean just because you want a Maserati, that you will get a Maserati? You want a McLaren, you get a McLaren? Because it says here that he will, God will give you the desires of your heart. But is that the heart of God? The heart of God is the heart of justice. The heart of God is the heart of love. If you were in God, you will not ask God for a McLaren. When you have the right heart and the right desires, it will parallel God's heart. That's why during missions we prayed, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours, right? It's not what I think it is, but God, what is it that breaks your heart? What moves your heart? God, give me that same desire so that I can live for you. Meaning when you delight in the Lord, he gives us his heart and his heart's desires. And according to his heart's desires, he will give us the desires of our heart. You understand that? If you have the wrong heart, we won't get the desires of our heart. When you have the right heart from God, you will receive the desire. Whenever you ask God, it says he will give you the desires of what are the desires of God's heart? A few things. I'll give you six. I mean, obviously, there's so much more. Number one, justice. Turn to your neighbor and say justice. justice. What does justice mean? To care for the vulnerable. We talked about this. We talked about this. Mishpah. We talked about this. Number two, brokenness. Number three, empathy. Never apathy. When we hear stories of a broken story or someone who is in a dire situation, your heart is moved with compassion. That's empathy. Apathy is, you're so used to it, nothing moves you anymore. Which leads to, we talked about the danger of apostasy. Talked about the danger of your heart not moving. Right? Next, number four, compassion. You have compassion for people. Five, righteousness. Sedeka. Righteousness which means charity, being generous. Are you generous? And number six, action. You're a man and woman of action. That is God's heart. We're just touching the surface of it. We're just touching the surface. 
What is the whole purpose of Matthew 13? What is the whole purpose of Matthew 25? When God separates the sheep and the goats to the right and to the left, it's those who pretend to have the heart of God. Those who are just pretending, putting on the clothing of a sheep, but inside they're ferocious wolves, pretending when a goat pretends to be the sheep. Justice is a sign that you are growing with God. And when you're growing with God, you start to have God's desires. Right? Think about it. Before you were a Christian, what were your desires? Some of your desires were to be cool, to have a lot of friends, uh, to make a name for yourself, to have a dream for your life, to make a lot of money, to do things for yourself or myself. As long as I am happy, I'm okay. But what is a sign that you are growing with God? When you start having the heart of justice, you have compassion for people, you have a heart of forgiveness, you start to love, you love your enemies, right? You are more patient. And these are things that doesn't happen overnight, right? It's a process. It's happening every day, day in, day out. But justice is a key sign to show that you are growing in the Lord. Again, what does justice mean? To care and to help the vulnerable. December 15th, we're going homeless outreach in New York City. And I hope that you guys are taking this seriously and start doing it now because the time is coming. It's in four weeks. You know, are you excited? Do you truly care for the vulnerable? What is the vulnerable? Who are the vulnerable? It's the children, the orphans. It's the sick, the poor, the widows who do not have the husband to protect them, to help them, who are alone, who have difficult times. It's the heart of Mishpat. And that word Mishpat is found more than 200 times in the Bible. And God is a God of justice. God is a God of Mishpat. Tim Keller said it like this. He said, we do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. It means equiting or even punishing every person on the merits of their case and their actions. Regardless of race or social status, anyone who does the same should be given the same penalty. It's about giving people what they are, whether it's punishment or care or protection. What is the heart of God? Here's this, that even in punishment, when you do something wrong, Wes, if you do something wrong, even in punishment, God is fair. That even in justice, God is fair. That God, he's an individual that fights for those who are marginalized, who are part of outside, who cannot help themselves. That's why the Egyptians with slavery, God came to the rescue of the Israelites because they were being treated unfairly. Immigrants who come to the U.S. or refugees, the migrant workers, the homeless, the single parent, the elderly. God is someone who fights for these individuals. That's when we go to nursing home every month. And I encourage some of you to come. You know, that is not in vain, everybody. Yes, there's nothing that they can do to pay me back. They can do to get, do something for me. I remember the Konzanim, they all got together. And they gave me an a Amazon gift card. They gave me a gift. And, you know, somehow they felt like they needed to give something back for me to, you know, when we come and we, we help with the nursing home ministry. 
I said, no, no, you really don't need to do any of this. It's okay. We're not here to do anything, to receive anything. We're just here to serve and to help. But, you know, they always buy us hot water buffet. It's delicious. Sometimes they take us to pizza. I think that's when, you know, we don't do a good job. They're like, nah, nah. Today, nah, they didn't do a good job, so let's take them and get pizza. But, um, but, you know, that's our payment. Our payment is for God. When we have the heart of God, you just do it because you, you just want to do it. Because that's the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have the heart of God. So if there's any Christians or anyone here who is found, right, their individual that is found neglecting justice is in a great violation of God's heart. And his heart is mishpat. It's justice. Justice is everything. So the question, why should I, why should us who are born and who are living in America, who have expensive clothing, on our back, roof over our heads, nice things, food to eat every day. Why should we be concerned about the vulnerable ones? Why? And the answer is this, because God cares for them, because God loves them, and God has not forgotten them. God is mentioned over and over again in the Bible as the defender of the weak. I am the defender of the weak. I am the defender of the weak. He calls us to love and to defend those who cannot help themselves. God introduces himself in the scripture. He says in Psalm 68, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. But as Christians, how do we introduce ourselves? A lot of times we say, Hi, my name is, I'm a doctor. We put our title and status up there. Somehow try to make ourselves look good. I'm a doctor in Presbyterian hospital or something, blah, blah, blah. But God, he introduces himself as a God and a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Mishpat. Turn to your neighbor and say, Mishpat. It's the heart of God. Righteousness. Sadeka. Righteousness. Mishpat. We talked about righteousness. It means charity, being generous to those in need. Every day, day in, day by day, we are living in fairness. We want to help, we want to love in generosity and love, treating others in the heart of God. It's about remembering that not only you are created in the image of God, but even the people that you don't like are created in the image of God. It's understanding that we are all children of God. But don't worry about what they're doing. What are you doing? At the end of the day, when we die, you stand before God, between you and him, and that's it. There's no one else. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your friend, your best friend, your pastor will not stand there with you, pleading for your case. Only you will stand before God, and God will judge according to his heart, to our heart. Did it parallel, did it match Obviously, we are not God, right? We are so far from anything like the holiness of God. But we pursue the heart of God every single day. Amen? Number three. Do you have, and this kind of sums everything up. And again, this is part one of the message. Next week, it's going to be all tied together. 
And we're going to end the month of November with this, understanding God's will for our life. Now, number three, do you have a relationship with Christ? Turn to your neighbor and say, a relationship with Christ. Meaning, are you living in a relationship with Christ every day? When I'm asking that question, I'm not talking about a one-time thing. But I'm talking about every single day. John 15, verse 15, it says this. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Why does Jesus call us his friends? It's so that we can be casual, high-fiving. The thing that we do, Harry, the little handshake thingy. Do you remember? Is it up or down or left or right? Wow, he forgot. He's like, what? He's like, where am I? <laughs> Why does Jesus call us his friends? Meaning now we are in a relationship. It's not just a servant to a master where you serve me and you do the work. Yes, that's part of it. But again, first and foremost, it's about a relationship. So again, the question, do you truly know him or do you know of him? I'm going to ask again, do you truly know Jesus Christ or do you know of him? How do you get to know him? Study the word. Read the scripture. Know his heart. Do you truly know him or do you know of him? God desires a relationship with you, with us. That's the main thing. It all comes down to that. God desires your utmost faithfulness to him. If you do not have a relationship with God, and we're going to talk about this next week, you cannot find the will of God. If you do not even want the relationship with God, how do you expect to do his will? You cannot. Only his chosen children will do the will of God because you will know his heart. And how will you know his heart? How will you know his mind? Through a relationship. When you have a relationship with someone, you talk with them, yes? Late at night through text. I mean, some of you are Jerry smiling, but we text each other, we call. You want to get to someone, what do you do? Ask them out for a coffee. Wesley's smiling, I don't know why, it's creeping me out. He's staring at Andrew, he's like, coffee? He's staring at Andrew, he's like, coffee, Andrew, later? Coffee? <laughs> you get to know them in an intimate way through a relationship, right? You, know, you knew of them, maybe you saw them in campus, you saw them from far away, but once you get to know them, you get to know their name. The more you talk, your web becomes thicker, it gets stronger, the relationship, the bond gets stronger. The trust becomes greater. You go through obstacles together. You understand. And you trust. And your, your trust, it grows. It's a relationship. It comes down to relationship. You will not know the heart of God. You will not have the mind of God if you do not have a relationship. So three simple ways for us to have a relationship. One, we're in a relationship. These are some things that we can do. Number one, by listening and speaking in prayer with Christ every day. And the word here is every day. The phrase here is every day. Every day. Listening and speaking in prayer with Christ every day. By speaking to Christ 
and listening to Christ. And when I say listening to Christ, I'm not saying like just gonna be like whispering to you, be like, hey, Ronnie, how are you? It's like, then I think you need to go to the hospital. But I'm talking about listening is uh, through the word. When you read, you listen to God's voice. When you pray, you hear, and you speak to him in faith. You believe that God listens. It's like a communication, right? By listening and speaking in prayer with Christ every day. Number two, by studying his word every day. Studying his word every day. It doesn't even have to be something that you have to go crazy with. As long as you know and you take time to set aside to read. You know, I have on my phone here an album with scriptures that I go over, that I'm constantly just meditating, studying. Even when I don't remember the number, the reference, or the or chapter or verse, I know that it's in there. And I could just look it up, and I know it's in there. When you have the heart and the mind of Christ, you're able to reference the Word of God because you understand the heart and the mind of Christ is found in the Scripture. Who God is is found in the Scripture. You study it by abiding in Christ. Number three, by obeying his word every day. By obeying his word every day. Turn to your neighbor, obey his word. word. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is always greater because obedience is about relationship. It's about trust. Sacrifice is just about work. It's about doing. It's doing a favor for the individual, but that will not last. It will eventually run out, and you will burn out. Be obedient in action. And that's the key. In parentheses, write the word action. It's about action. Obeying his word every day is about action. It's putting into action. We learn in Bible study, right? To what? Number one, Angela? Preaching to yourself. Evangelizing and worship, and then next week, you don't know yet. Because <laughs> it's, it's coming in three days. But it's about putting into action. Evangelizing. If you are not putting into action what you feed, imagine like putting gas all the time and you're not even driving the car. You put it in neutral, you have someone push it, and then you bring it to a gas station. You filled it last week, you didn't even drive it. You say, oh, fill it up, 93 or 87, fill it up. And then they're like, wait, what? And then it's overflow. And what happens? That will ruin the car. Just like us, when we're putting in the calories of food and all the food, all the stuff, spiritually we're learning, spiritually we're growing. But if there's no output, if you're not exercising, if you're not burning off the calories, it's by putting in, working out, burning, eating, putting the nutrition, repairing, and it's about doing it over and over and over again. Action. Action is important. If not, you will become spiritually obese. If you're spiritually obese, then we become spiritually proud. We become spiritually too big. We're not able to move freely. Again, it's about action. Again, I'm emphasizing the phrase every day, constantly, the word constantly, every day. Not sometimes, not when I feel like it, not when I want to, but because I want to, because I desire to. Because that's a desire that God had put in me. Not when it's convenient, but because I am called to do. Amen? 
Again, do you have number one? Number two? Number three? And I'm ending with this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence. This is Paul speaking. He's in prison. He says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good pleasure through everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved, meaning perverse generation in which, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold forth the what? The word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. What is he saying? Some of these individuals, they were just acting. Only when Paul was there in their presence, that's when they acted. They acted good. But he says, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, even when I'm not here, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trouble. In the past where I had to go to a mission place to scout, maybe gone for a week, especially when I'm not here, I asked the team, what do we do? That you need to do even better, right? You need to be even more alert. Even when the mission team was gone, when the incident happened with one of the twins, you guys stepped up and you made sure that you guys took care of it, right? And it was a trust in the relationship that we had. So Paul is saying, look, you have to continue to work out. The word here is continue, continue. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trample. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. This is just going to set the foundation for next week. Next week is Thanksgiving. Let's get ready and to finish this month strong. And as we go to December, and as we are finalizing this whole year of 2019, I pray, I really pray that you will finish strong and that you will start strong with the new year. Honestly, the new year thing is, you know, every day we should, but I really enjoy these moments, you know, like holidays. And, you know, people say every day is Valentine's Day, you know, and he's like, yep, every day is my birthday. But, but you know, every day is, yes, we should. We should live with grateful hearts and, but there are seasons in life, right? There's reasons why God put the seasons and holidays and the rhythm of life as reminders for us. If that was the case, then we wouldn't need tradition and things for us to come. And that's something that we're going to talk about, actually, on Wednesday. That's going to be our final phase of what it means to understand the gospel. Right? But it's about having foundation and structure and reminding ourselves that Thanksgiving is coming season of being thankful to God and just remembering his word. Amen? So continue to work out every day. Every day. Every day. When birthday comes, remember that person. Pray for that person. That they are a year or older. Thank, be thankful for that relationship. Pray for their blessing for their life. It's about seasons and being continuous in your walk with the Lord. So when it says continue to work out your salvation, 
with fear and trembling. I pray every day that we'll be faithful in our walk with the Lord. Amen? Let's ask the priest to come up. At this time, can we all stand to our feet? We're going to end the service with a song. And we're going to make the song our praise and our worship and our prayer before God. And as we sing this song, let's worship from the heart. Let's worship with a genuine heart of worship, a heart of love and heart of dependence, a heart of desperate heart that is desperate for the Lord, that desires to know Him, to have His heart and to have His mind and to remember that it all comes down to having a relationship. Remember that you were once lost. Remember John 9. I was once, I was once blind, but now I see. Let's remember and celebrate the salvation and the good news that we have received, the gospel that we know, the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ, the priceless gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's come with a heart of thanksgiving and let's just sing this song with prayer and with conviction. Let's sing together. All who gather in this place have come to Searching for the one, the one whose praise and worship is. Sing it again, all who gather in this place.
reminding us of part one of your will that God so many times we try to build our house from the roof when our foundation hasn't even been set God we try putting on the windows and the walls when our foundation is all messy and shaky Father I pray Lord that you remind us of the foundation that our foundation is found in our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and the question a serious question that we need to ask ourselves is do I have the mind of Christ Do I have the heart of Christ? Everything else, God, is temporary. Everything else is secondary. God, you desire our hearts. You desire our worship. You desire our obedience. You desire a relationship with you, Father God. Everything else is nothing in comparison to who you are and to be found by you and to know you and to be known by you and to love you and to be loved by you. Father, when we face our final judgment when we die and when this life comes to an end you will not commend us for the jobs that we had or the titles that we've held or our education the titles that we pursued so hard or the money in the bank but you look at our obedience God you desire a relationship God you look at our true worship Are we worshiping in spirit and in truth? Father, set the foundation right now. Set the foundation, Lord. Even if my house isn't done building in this one life, in this earth, I know that, God, as long as my foundation has been set, as long as my foundation has been set in you, I know everything will be okay. Help us not to have the world's mind and to get lost in the things of this world and the pleasure of this world. To know your heart, O oh God. To have the heart of justice. To have the heart of love. To be sheep. To be found by you. And to do the good work that you have called us to do. To be your workmanship, O oh Lord. Ephesians 2.10 Father, thank you for the love and for the relationship that we have. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you, Lord, that I'm standing here Only by your grace, Lord, I bow my knees and worship at your throne. There's nothing I want, just one thing I need, to worship you. Father, can we just sing that with our voice just one last time? Let's make this our worship and our prayer before God. I'm standing here 
Only by your grace, Lord. Let's sing together. I'm standing here Only by your grace, Lord I bow my knees And worship at your throne There's nothing I want Just one thing I need To worship you far One last time, let's slow it down Just the voices I'm standing here Only by your grace, Lord I bow my knees And worship at your There's nothing I want, just one thing I need, to worship you, Father. Father, thank you again for reminding us to have the mind of Christ. Thank you again for reminding us to have the heart of Christ. Thank you for reminding us again the most important thing, the relationship with the Father. Thank you that through you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we have a relationship with the Father. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for everything that you have done for us, Father. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you for everything that you have done in our lives. We want to thank you, not just as an individual, but as a church. I pray, God, that as a church, that we'll be a faithful church that pursues your heart, O oh God. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my pray, and God's people pray. Amen, amen. and amen. amen.